that. Goonies never say die. Fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Forty Going On Fourteen. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I am Joel. And I'm Josh. And I'm always disappointed when a meat cute doesn't involve actual meat. Meat cute? What? What's a meat cute? Are you serious? You you don't know what a meat cute is? Yeah, we're talking about uh, romantic comedies, and you don't want to know what a meat cute is. I almost said mute cute. <laughs> you know what a meat cube is? Mute cute. Mike, do you know what a meat cute is? You seriously don't know the term meat cute? I know meat book. It's like a standard Hollywood term for how you get a, a couple to cutely meet a meat cute. You're like running into somebody with an, you know with an orange juice in your hand, and you got to take them home and change clothes. I think they're not bullshitting us. No, that's a real term. That's a thing. It's not got, it's, yeah, it's got a Wikipedia page. I've heard of the casting couch, but not the meat cute. That's a different kind of meat cute. <laughs> oh. that's, that's, a, that's a meat meat. That's a Weinstein. Yeah. <laughs> hey. He's not wrong. Nope. So yeah, so welcome to uh, the Romantic Comedy Show. <laughs> That's yeah. a good lead in Start, right Starting off with Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, there's no fucking way I'm going to go if you like Weinstein, so you guys keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> we have chosen one of our favorite rom- rom-coms from the then and one of our favorite rom-coms from the now, and we watched eight of these. This is the first installment in our new movie genre topic, I guess. We're going to give it a test run, see how it goes. Because, you know, we want to see possibly in the future we might do one of these on, like, westerns or horror or, you know, action or whatever kind of genres, if this goes yeah. well. But if this lasts, like, three and a half hours, we'll probably not do this again. <laughs> if you like things that last three and a half hours, call the doctor. You might like meetings with Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> Jesus. But you'll probably like the shows on the Podcast Collective, such as I Am Salt Lake, The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, The Dog and Deuce Show, The Portland Beer Club Podcast, and, of course... The Rad Dad Radio Hour. Wow. All right. I guess we're minimalist on the Rad Dad Radio Hour. I didn't want it to last three hours. And if you're looking for some of our older stuff, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse, FM, NoonFM.com. And if you want to give us a call, 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727. Call to click on Facebook, too. Do we have? No. No, we don't. Okay. So, yeah. We're going to talk about rom-coms. Rom-com, romantic comedic movies, which I have, <laughs> I have, I, I have questioned with our ability to pick these because there's some of these I'm like, I, that wasn't comedic at all. Yeah, there's there's a, a few of them in there that are a little less comedic, more romantic and fighty, but we'll get there because I, I have a very specific set of criteria that I used to judge, but we'll wait for the main show. To talk I'm curious about, about that. that. Yeah. yeah. You'd like to know what his specific criteria is. Specific? Specific. Yes, it tastes like nutmeg. Okay, it's about that time. <laughs> it is about that time. Uh... This week in music, movies, and TV. All right, so this week we are going with July 2nd, 1986, the release of what I believe is the oldest movie on the list, About Last Night. Correct. That's why I picked it. Ah, good good choice. All right, so music. The number one song in the land was There'll Be Sad Songs to Make You Cry by Billy Ocean. So, and then your career will end, and that will make you cry, too, also. Aw. Oh, get out of my dreams, Patrick. And into my car. Vroom, vroom. Speaking of Harvey Weinstein. <sighs> Dude. We're not making Harvey Weinstein a character. That is just <laughs> no. not happening. <laughs> Can we go back to May again? Yes, Brian May's mother can come back. Harvey Weinstein, not so much. 
I'll kick his ass. All right. <laughs> Next up, Joe Mafis, born Otis Wilson Mafis, was an American country music guitarist, one of the flashiest country guitarists of the 1950s and 60s. He was known as the King of the Strings because he was able to play many stringed instruments with great facility. However, he specialized in dazzling guitar virtuosity. Mafis was diagnosed with lung cancer and died on June 27th. Yikes. That escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. Do we have a think we can find some of his stuff? Yeah, we should be able to. He's the king of strings. Joe M-A-P-H. Joe Mathis. Let's see what we got here. Here's something called Trick Fiddlin'. Oh. <laughs> Not what I was expecting. No. <laughs> well, that's a stringed instrument. He wants to smack him on the head, apparently. Well, I mean, he was trick fiddling. I mean, so that's not wrong. Huh. That's not what I was expecting at all. Hmm. Very bluegrassy. Well, speaking of twangy, uh, Kelly Don Pickler was born June 28th. She's a country music artist, actress, and television personality who gained fame as a contestant on the fifth season of American Idol. When she finished in sixth place, her debut album, Small Town Girl, was certified gold and produced three singles on the Billboard Hot Country song chart. She and her partner, Derek Huff, 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 were declared the winners of the 16th season of the acronym of the week, DWTS. I'm pretty sure I know this one. That's Down With the Sickness. Oh, <laughs> disturbed reality show. <laughs> yeah, that is that is such a disturbed answer. Yeah, no, that is uh, down with the sickness. That is dancing with the stars. You were close. Uh, I'd say that's almost a win. He almost got that one. Very, very close. I almost killed myself trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so he does. It, it is again. not easy to do. And finally, on June 30th, Madonna released her True Blue album, which topped the charts in more than 28 countries and became the best-selling album of 1986. I owned that on cassette. It's a great album. She outsold everybody in six months. Uh, Are you surprised? Nope. It's Madonna. Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was The Karate Kid Part 2. Okinawa. It's an interesting time. Was that the one that they had the little... Drummy, clippy-cloppy things where they spin them in the... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, you found out, you know, there. It's, it's not true that there is no defense for the crane kick. Turns out there is defense. Yeah. Not not a great movie, but it did have the uh, the best line, probably better than any line in the first, when uh, the guy's breaking the board and he asked Mr. Miyagi, could you do that? Don't know. Never been attacked by a tree. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in right. peace, Pat Morita. Lindsay D. Lohan is an American actress, singer-songwriter, businesswoman, producer, and crazy person who was <laughs> born July 2nd in New York. She was a regular on Another World at age 10, and her breakthrough came in The Parent Trap. That led to appearances in Freaky Friday and Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. After the sleeper hit Mean Girls and Herbie Fully Loaded, she quickly became the subject of intense media coverage due to a series of personal struggles and legal troubles, as well as a number of stints in rehab due to substance abuse. Thereafter, she focused on smaller films and a series of TV shows. Lohan also released two studio albums and dabbled in fashion. Since 2016, Lohan has developed a series of nightclubs and resorts in Greece. Hmm. I didn't know that. I don't know that I call Herbie fully loaded a sleeper hit, but... No, the, the sleeper hit Mean Girls. And, and Herbie fully loaded. Fully loaded. It, yep. didn't say, it didn't say after both sleeper hits. I'm with Pat on this. That's how I'd parse that sentence. Yep. You've never seen Herbie fully loaded then. <laughs> Jesus. On July 2nd, The Great Mouse Detective was released to theaters to positive reviews and was a critical and financial success. 
It saved the Disney studio from bankruptcy after the failure of The Black Cauldron, which is now regarded as one of the darkest, underrated, and cult-following classics of all time. I like both of those. Agreed. Yeah. Yep, same. I remember seeing Great Mouse Detective and Black Cauldron in the theater when they came out. Great Mouse Detective was just a lot of fun. I liked it. And Radigan was a great villain, too. Well, I mean, the whole American Tale universe or whatever, all those movies are good. What? 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 Two totally separate things, dude. Isn't American Tale? I thought the, I thought the Great, Mouse, great Mouse Detective was a sequel to American Tale. Nope. No. Are you fucking with me right now? Five nope. Goes West was a sequel to... Well, I know. I thought all three of those movies were connected. No. No. All right, Disney versus then. Ralph Maskey. And what did you think about The Land Before Time? Was that like the prequel to The Great Mouse Detective? <laughs> that was a prequel to everything. I don't know. They're mouse movies. Sorry. Sorry I got my mouse movies mixed up. Clash of the Titans, Wrath of the Titans, Remember the Titans. <laughs> ben, Willard, you know, I mean, all sequels are great. It's such a stretch. I apologize. I didn't I didn't mean to didn't mean to stomp on the mouse movie following days, that, that you obviously days have. later, twenty eight weeks later. Yeah, yeah. Five hundred days exactly of summer. The same stuff, guys. You're, you're <laughs> right. Nice. Jesus Christ. Didn't mean to offend your mouse sensibilities. That'd be mouse abilities. Thank you, sir. My fucking apologies. Mouse say tongue. Didn't know, didn't know that was a hot button issue. I apologize, guys. <laughs> was that sleeper hit, you know? I don't know. I just want to say I'm waiting for the That's next thing. You. I know it's me. I'm afraid to say anything. <laughs> All right. So TV, the top shows in the land are The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, and Murder, She Wrote. Wow, that's so 80s. Yeah. That's a good Thursday night right there. But you put The Cosby Show at the end, then you get a good night's sleep. Born June 27th in Newport Beach, California, Jared Drake Bell is an American actor, singer, songwriter, and musician. He began his career at the age of five on Home Improvement, and he also appeared in several commercials. But he's best known for his starring roles in Nickelodeon's The Amanda Show and Drake and Josh. Bell starred in a trilogy of the fairly odd parents movies on Nickelodeon. He was a voice of Peter Parker's Spider-Man in the animated series The Ultimate Spider-Man. In addition to acting, Bell has a career in music with a band named Drake 24-7. He also co-wrote and performed the theme song to Drake and Josh, entitled Found a Way. In 2005, his debut album Telegraph was self-released, and his second album, Its Only Time, was released by Universal Motown Records. That's odd, and has sold over 200,000 copies in the United States. Bell has two more albums, A Reminder Independently and Ready, Steady, Go. Busy kid. Yeah. Good on him. So, yeah. And sports. At the FIFA World Cup final held at Estadio Azteca in Mexico City on June 29th, Argentina beat West Germany 3-2 in front of 114,600 fans. That's a lot of people. Yikes. A lot of people. Robbie Thompson of the San Francisco Giants was the first player in Major League history to be caught stealing four times in one game against the Cincinnati Reds on June 27th. First time to do it, then other players are like, well, I could do that. That's a record I could get. <laughs> <laughs> on July 5th, Atlanta Braves infielder Bob Horner became the 11th player to hit four home runs in an MLB game during an 11-8 loss against the Montreal Expos. I haven't heard that name in a long time. Bob Horner? No, the Expos. Oh. I was going to say, you hear Bob Horner a lot? Yeah. Are they still around? Yeah. The Expos? Yep. No, he's talking about Montreal. <laughs> I know that's still around. Bob Horner's still around, too, as far as I know. Oh. Yeah. Well, he didn't die in the twee, so. And lastly, Donald Lavert Rogers was a safety in the NFL for two seasons during the mid-1980s for the Cleveland Browns, but his career was cut short by a fatal heart attack caused by a cocaine overdose the day before his wedding on June oh. 27th. Yikes. He died only eight days after Len Bias, 
an <gasps> NBA draft pick who has also died of cocaine abuse, starting a national discussion about the relationship between drugs and athletes. Look at that. Look at that. It all <laughs> comes around. That. Now we can fold up shop. We don't need to do this show anymore. <laughs> We've come full circle. Athletes, these are the drugs. Drugs, <laughs> these are the athletes. Talk amongst yourselves. In two minutes, you move to another table. <laughs> two minutes later, they were all dead. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait a second. We have no, we have no cricket in sports today. The only cricket fact I could find was really not that interesting. So yeah, no. Because oh. uh, I okay, I had actually had a listener call out to British listener uh, Christopher, who sent me a book of all the rules of cricket. What you gonna become a cricket ref? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm, new calling, <laughs> new my new calling. I'm gonna become a. A referee for cricket, though I did find out from him that you are allowed to bring in, is it four, either four beers or one bottle of champagne to every cricket match. And when as a player, no, well, I don't know, <laughs> maybe, but as no, as in the stands. And they said like at, uh, during the game, once the game starts, a majority of people bring in champagne. So all you hear for the entire, in, what do they call it? The, the field. What's, what's the word the called? The pitch around the pitch. All you hear is champagne bottles popping all around the place when they start up the games. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Christopher, for that trivia and uh, the book that has was a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. There's a lot of rules <laughs> in that man. It's got a lot of rules, and it, the games cricket. last for like twelve it's years. Thing, so some say they're still playing cricket today. <laughs> Why is that funny? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> play play um. us off, keyboard Joel. All right. All right. So long ago, there was a creation of a type of movie called the romantic comedy. It almost kind of sits in our heads that it was almost like an 80s type of thing, but it goes much further back than that. Oh, yeah. Like I would say all the way back to the old black and white. One of them that came up in my mind that I almost wish I had picked for the then, but would have been way far back was uh, bringing up baby. Yep. You know, that's a, that's a really old one. Uh, Carrie Grant and um, now what's her name? Help me here, Pat. I'm thinking, I'm totally, <laughs> oh my God, who was, um, help me Patrick. Yeah. I can't get, uh, I, I she's one of the huge, most... out of my head and that's Catherine... not right. No, uh, yeah, get his right. Was it, was it yeah. Catherine Hepburn? Oh, okay. Yeah, was Catherine her. Hepburn, Cary Grant. Also another one that I think we uh, kind of put in romantic comedy is a uh, Cary Grant movie, maybe even uh, Arsenic and Old Lace. A lot of those movies back then had Maybe not as not as much. I mean, you know, but I mean, those movies where you have the star-crossed will they, lovers, will they, well, yeah, will they, won't they, they meet in some kind of, like you guys were talking before we started the show, the uh, cute, cute what? What is it called? Meet cute. Meet, meet cute. cute. I mean, you could even almost say that It's a Wonderful Life was a romantic comedy. You can go even further back to classic, like Shakespeare. A lot of his comedies were rom-coms. Yeah. 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 I mean, for what it's worth and much ado about nothing. I mean, in fact, one of the, one of the movies on our list is based off of a Shakespearean rom-com. True. Indeed. That is, a, that is sort of where I was going with that since that was my pick for that. That's a nice segue. Yeah, I like that. So, jumping into it, we're going to start with probably when people think of rom-coms of the most recent decades, the one that pops in their minds first, When Harry Met Sally. Uh, who picked this one? Me. That was my pick. Why? I love this movie. <laughs> this is Why? one of my favorite movies of all time. Like, I mean, even even outside of comedy, just in general, I just love this movie. Really? I've, I've huh. seen it multiple times. I quote it all the time. 
some of my favorite scenes. Having an orgasm is not quoting when Harry met Sally. It is the way I do it. <laughs> I'll have what he's having. I only, I only do it in the middle of a deli. <laughs> he sounds just like Meg Ryan. It's amazing. Well, <laughs> I, I talked uh, before, right at the top of the show, that I have my criteria for romantic comedies. Now, this isn't like a definition. If it doesn't hit these two, it can still be a romantic comedy. I'm just not going to like it. It has to be romantic and be com- comical? I mean, basically, yeah. The <laughs> characters have to be charming enough that I care whether or not they get together, and the movie has to make me laugh. So, yeah, basically. And for this, it at least made me laugh. I don't actually care much for the characters, so I'm kind of lukewarm on this film. Okay. But at least it works for me as a comedy, so I can't in good conscience give it a complete thumbs down. Because it's a funny movie. It is a funny movie. And there's definitely romance in it. Yeah. Whether you care for the characters or not, there is romance. Right. But for me personally, it works for me as a romantic comedy only completely if both of those notes are hit. And for this, the romantic end does not hit for me very well because i don't i I don't hate them enough there are some uh characters in rom-coms where i was like i don't want these people to be happy these people are shit (laughs) name it for sure yeah there might even be some coming up (laughs) yeah we'll we'll have examples of that later like (laughs) for instance the roommate in notting hill directed by rob reiner (laughs) what oh (laughs) but you're, Uh, you're getting us back on track Getting us back on track. This one, When Harry Met Sally, directed by Rob Reiner, written by Nora Ephron, uh, yep. also known for pretty much launching the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan thing with uh, When Harry Met Sally, did Sleepless in Seattle, and did You've Got Mail. Yeah, Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron in the late 80s, early 90s were the king and queen of rom-coms. Yes. But her writing writing uh, credits go all the way back to a TV series called Adam's Rib, The Perfect Gentleman was a TV movie, and then Silkwood and Heartburn, which was a rom-com with Meryl Streep and uh, Jack Nicholson. Yep. Going all the way back to that. This kind of set the tone, I guess, for late 80s, early 90s romantic comedies, because it seemed like in that chunk of time, like, uh, say this to like 96 97 billy crystal and meg ryan were known to be like the movie couple i mean all the way down to like joe versus volcano you know that sort of thing so there were some trivia on this one though this obviously starring billy crystal and meg ryan has harry burns and sally albright uh the scene where we see all four lead characters talking to each other individually on various telephones took 60 times to nail correctly that is a long shoot yes this this movie, I think, kind of what you're going for is that it kind of set the template for what was to come in a lot of ways. Not that there were, weren't ones before it, weren't ones during it or after it that were still in that genre. This kind of set well, a bit of a... Yeah, with a speaking of a tone, you know what I think this is? is I think Meg Ryan's characters were the great-grandmother, grandmother of the manic pixie dream girl. Okay, I could see that. I know a lot of the uh, script for this film was based on stuff from Rob Reiner's life. Some of it was his breakup of his own marriage was factored into the writing. And some of it was actually his friendship with Billy Crystal mirrored specific things that Harry and Sally did. Well, and that'll that'll actually be a theme through multiple shows or multiple movies in the conversation is that there's a lot of uh, movies that the writer or the director bases the theme or the scenes, of the movie off their own life or, or, you know, of people they know. Yeah. Stories they've heard yeah. this and that. Yeah. I have, I have a uh, friend who's trying to become a screenwriter and he has 
several stories and several movies of, of shit that's happened to me. Oh. <laughs> well, you, they say, oh, write no. what you know. What do you know about? I know about being dumped. Yep. So is he writing the sequel to Requiem for oh, a Dream? Shit. Is that what's happening? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't... <laughs> he's writing a movie about, like, the world's biggest loser. So, yeah, some of the stories oh, are, like, not real flattering. I've told him. Like, Ooh, you, I was like, this story happened. You need to use this. This is, this is the worst thing ever. It'll make a great movie. Yep. <laughs> I've seen this movie. This is, I think, the second time I've seen it. Maybe the third. And I enjoy it. I, I'm I'm not quite where Josh is, but I'm not quite where Pat is either. I I like their relationship. It feels fairly real to me in terms of you know having girls that are friends. But yeah, there's some moments that I'm kind of like. Mm. Well, I, it does get a little. I don't want to say cringy. It does get a little saccharine at times. But all of them do. Yeah, that's kind of a theme you get in a lot of them. It can be a bit too sweet. It's not sleepless in Seattle. No, no. Or you've got mail. Both those movies can go to hell. I agree. Personally, what I think is one of the best comedic scenes in all of cinema history is the Pictionary scene, where she, you know, Meg Ryan is drawn on the board, and Bruno Kirby just keeps shouting out, you know, random baby fish mouth type guesses. <laughs> Fucking forgot about you know, that. Rest in peace, rest in peace, Bruno Kirby. Because. Uh, that was one of the things, I, you know, watching the, the movie again, just thinking about, you know, especially that telephone scene we talked about in the trivia, you know, just watching that, thinking about how Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher both are gone. Uh, yeah, that was hard watching her. Yep. And I forgot about Bruno Kirby. I mean, I I know that he'd passed, but I just hadn't even thought about it because it was kind of overshadowed by, by her more recent loss. But that that scene is pretty brilliant, I got to admit. And it, and it smacks a lot of kind of those old movies you were talking about, like the... the um, Cary Grant kind of, you know, his girl Friday sort of fast paced. Yeah. The rapid fire dialogue talking over each other, but it's, it's all making sense. You just, if you can pick it apart, there's some really smart stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it, what you, what you just said, Joel is a callback to the old school rom-coms, the old Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant type movies where you've got that. I think honestly, this is a good, almost an homage to those old movies. And I, I enjoyed this one. I remember going to see this at the theater because it was, you know, 1989 taking a girl out on a date. What are you going to see? Yeah, let's go see you and Harry met Sally. I'd rather see commando, but it's all right. <laughs> I love this movie. I don't care what you guys say. This is one of my favorite movies. I like it. I, I just, I'm not quite as far over the top as you are. And that's all. Yeah. I'm kind of mad on it, but I, I don't, maybe it hits the bottom half of these movies. Just, I think it. We got a lot of. We got, get yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. So moving on, ten things I hate about you. Who chose this one? This one was me. Gosh. All right. So uh, this is uh, ten things I hate about you, directed by Gil Junger, who <laughs> did ten things I hate about you and Black Knight, starring Martin Lawrence. Oh yeah, yeah I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, also, something called Devious Maids. What is that? No, oh, that's a. Sounds like something I don't want to Google. Yeah, something. I want to use Bing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to bookmark that one and move along. Uh, Written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith and uncredited William Shakespeare. This is a teen retelling of The Taming of the Shrew. Uh, Starring Heath Ledger as Patrick Verona, Julia Stiles as Kat Stratford, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, for the first showing of this show as Cameron James and uh, La- Larissa Olenek as Bianca Stratford. 
Yeah, it launched three careers, and it had... Oh, go ahead and do the trivia. Oh, come the back. trivia on this one that I thought was really cool, because one of the things when I was watching it was, that is the most ridiculous high school I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> it is the Stadium High School located in Tacoma, Washington. It was first billed as a Grand Chateau-style railroad station hotel, but then it caught on fire, suffered fire damage, and they were like, yeah, let the kids have it, and turned it into a high school. <laughs> That's usually That's scans. Yeah. So, so 10 things. So this was a pleasant surprise for me. It was the reason I picked it is because it was better than it had any right to be. And it's mostly based on the charisma of the leads. Mm -hmm. Definitely. One of the things that I read when I was researching on this one is that Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Larissa Olenek apparently became really good friends through the whole shooting of this. And it, you can see it. In the interaction between those, between the whole team, the whole team here. This is, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Joel, okay. I was going to say, this is one of the few movies that I have put on where I, after dinner, I walk into the living room and I say, all right, daddy's got to watch a movie for the show. And usually all three of the ladies in my life, both my daughters and my wife go Ugh, and wander off to go do something else. This is one of the few times where all of them have sat and watched the entire thing. In fact, my younger daughter actually learned how to, what was the name of the song that Keith Ledger sang? I Love You, Baby. I think I, think I Love I think You. I think I Love You. Oh, no, I, no you're right. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, I Love, I love, I love you, you, Baby. Well, she lear- I'm blanking on the name yeah, of it. Yeah, but we know. The th- she, she learned how to play that on and sing it like the next day. So this left an impact. You're just too good to be too good to, too be, good true. to be true. Yep, yeah, that's the one. A great movie. Great source material, and then actually launched a pretty decent parody. And for me, it hits my my two big points. I like the characters enough that I want to see them happy by the end, and it made me laugh. Mm-hmm. It's got a good soundtrack. And the, the thing with this is that it, it fell into that weird glut that happened during this time frame where there was just a, a ton of these like teen rom-coms. Yeah, and then they started like, okay, well, let's take a page out of this book and try and see if we can replicate it. It's called. It's called. Can't take my eyes off you. Not oh, okay. True. No. Just had to <laughs> clear that up. It was bugging the shit out of me, and I was trying to interrupt <laughs> you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the first time I saw it, I was like, "That's way better than it should be." Like, and and I've seen it. Probably this was maybe like I don't know, sixth or seventh time I've seen it, and it's it still holds up as being a great film, and you get a lot of early on kind of performances. I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt already had a career as a child star. Yeah, from Third Rock. As as did Larissa, I believe. I think she was on Nickelodeon or something. But you know, Heath was still pretty young, and Julia was still pretty young, and they all just were a hundred percent in. And it, it's just a solid, solid film. And we are not the uh, target audience for this at all. Like it was a long. T- this had been out for ten years by the time I saw it the first time, and I, I was really, really impressed with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it goes with Joel. What Joel was saying is that if this was a a lighter weight cast. It wouldn't have. It would not have rocked if you had replaced Joseph Gordon-Levitt with, I don't even know, Pee Wee Herman, Edward Furlong. Yeah, Edward Furlong. There you go. And that <laughs> that was something that could possibly have happened. I mean, because he was. This is post uh, uh, T T two. Yeah, three years after after T two. Yeah, so they could, could have done that, and that would not have been good. 
Heath Ledger got his launch off of this one. I think that the cast here in this one really, really sold it. And I agree with you, Josh. I cared about these people in this movie, where very often I'm like, yeah, it's going to be happy at the end. We totally get it. In this one, it was like, yeah, I like these characters, and I know this story, and I know where it's going, but I enjoy these people in the movie, and I'm going to stick along for the ride. And like Joel said, it's also got a really good soundtrack, too. Yeah. All right. If this movie or Mean Girls? Uh, uh, I mean, I probably go with Mean Girls, but th- I had the same reaction watching both, where I was very surprised at how much I liked it. Mm. I don't think I don't think Mean Girls in this in Ten Things fall into the same category, though. Yeah, they're both high school comedy. Okay, I, okay, I'll give you that. If it's movie. if it's high school yeah. high school high school drama, I can give high school dramedies. I can give you that. But I think I would take 10 Things I Hate About You over that because, because he's Ledger. All right. So are we ready to move on? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So about last night, who picked this one? I picked this one. Why? <laughs> I was going to say. You I picked, picked this one. This is direct. He just likes to ask questions. He knows the answer. Because then I feel <laughs> smart. Uh, this is directed by Edward Zwick, uh, who has also done such things as the producer of 30-something. Uh, he produced a uh, Legends of the Fall. He recently has done something called The Suck. I don't know what that is. Suck it. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but in uh, just uh, what you gotta do, gotta suck it. <laughs> suck it. Yeah, all right. So, listeners, you have to remind us on this one because while he is the producer and director of Thirty Something from back nineteen eighty seven to nineteen ninety. Pre-production right now, 30-something else. So we may have another show. This is based off of a play by David Mamet. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, who... uh, I did not know that. No? David Mamet, not typically known for his comedic styling. Well, I mean... More of his misogyny. I don't know. His his stuff is funny. It's just dark. Well, I mean, he's also did Glengarry Glenn Ross and Wag the Dog. So you know where we're going with this. Writer of... Bunch of other things like that. Lost Masterpieces of Pornography was a video short that he did back in 2010. This is turned to a screenplay by Tim Krasinski and Dennis DeClue, Denise DeClue, starring Rob Lowe as Danny, Demi Moore as Debbie, Jim Belushi as Bernie, and Elizabeth Perkins as Joan. Trivia, originally this movie was to be made with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, but after John Belushi asked his brother Jim, who had starred in the play previously, Jim Belushi said that he didn't want John to take the part because Jim didn't want to be compared with his brother. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So That's good trivia. Yeah. One of the rare movies where you have Jim Belushi giving Rob Lowe dating advice. Uh, boy Rob Lowe has improved with age and Jim Belushi has not I I think it adds a a new twist to the character if you think about like he probably everything he told him was a complete lie and probably went home alone all the time oh yeah completely well this is based off the play the name of the play that this is based off is is Sexual Perversity in Chicago Uh, the reason I chose it because it's an old school this one actually the the DVD that I have of this comes packed with St. Elmo's Fire and based all in Chicago. And everything happens. Everything happens in Mothers. <laughs> yeah. A lot of things happen in Mothers. I've attended bar in Mothers. I'm not. Never mind. <laughs> a lot of things happen in Jay's mother. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. So this movie. 
The IMDb uh, phrase on it is a man and a woman meet and try to have a romantic affair despite their personal problems and interference with their disapproving friends. It's very light on the idea of this one, but uh, Rob Lowe meets Demi Moore. Jim Belushi and Elizabeth Perkins do not like the fact that these two are happy. And Elizabeth Perkins as Joan very much tries to sabotage their relationship. Are they even happy without their friends intervening though? I mean, really? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, th- for, for me, this, you know, I talk about my criteria. This one's zero for two. I don't want any of the four of these people to be happy. I don't buy the ending. And I don't think I laughed once. Josh, I have to agree with you on this one because after watching it, normally you watch a rom-com and you're, you're like, oh, wow. You know, that was really kind of this one. I was just like, fuck. You know, God, life sucks, man. Relationships suck. Dating sucks. Everything sucks. Oh, yeah. He chased after on a bike. She probably punched him in the mouth and then she got hit by a truck. (laughs) (laughs) This is not. uh, uh, I after finish watching this, I was I turned to Susie, my wife, and I'm like, this was not romantic, nor was it a comedy. I am wrong 100% on this movie. This is not a rom-com. This was a depressing look at dating in Chicago in the 80s. Minus the cocaine. Yeah, I I will say for it, it's smartly written and it's well acted in places. Yes. But uh, overall, my feelings on this are complicated and I think it comes down on the side of I didn't like it. It's a very realistic look at dating among people that use bars for their main source of social life. Oh, says the man who has been neck deep in this. Yeah, I mean, I I literally spent my 20s and 30s in the bars that they were in in the movie. Literally. <laughs> that's no joke, kids. Like, my, hmm? I said, that's no joke, yeah. kids, for the listeners. Yeah, the three of us can no verify joke. that. He is 100% correct. Yeah, all, the, all those bars on Division Street that you could see in there, I bartended up and... There were only maybe three bars in that whole area that I didn't actually bartend in at least one time. Because uh, I bartended at Mother's uh, for most of their holiday parties because they're, I worked for the company, Lodge Management, that owned 12 of the bars in that area. I was one of their managers and I was and a bartender. And I would occasionally like work different holiday parties because you know they had like little agreements between all the owners and managers and stuff, whatever, that we kind of helped each other out. and. Some of them would come and work our holiday parties, so that way we didn't have, you know. So, yeah, I bartended in, in all those places. This was one of the movies, if not the only movie, that I legitimately didn't care for. I'd never seen it. I didn't like Rob Lowe's character at all. And David Mamet writes characters that do bad things a lot of times, or that are un- should be unlikable characters, but the people that play them are usually pretty charismatic so you end up kind of they kind of be like like an anti-hero sort of not really a hero but you know like you like them anyway i didn't i didn't like any of the characters in this film well this danny was was a very inconsistent character too because they couldn't decide if they wanted to make him stupid or if they wanted to make him devious they 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 opened the movie with the whole scene where you know uh bernie is discussing you know this whatever and like the whole time you know danny is is just acting like a complete you know imbecile listening to everything and when they needed him to be dumb for the storyline they made him dumb and when they needed him to be like you know manip- manipulative and devious they made him that way you know so i felt like he was the most inconsistent out of all the characters everybody else i, I felt pretty much stuck to their character yeah and everybody at one point or another has known a character like bernie yeah 
I have been burning at certain points of my life. I, I didn't want to point that out, but if you're going to say it, <laughs> he was trying to be casual <laughs> on it, Patrick. On that high yep. note, let's move on. Yes, to Notting Hill. My pick. Your pick. Directed by Roger Mitchell. Uh, another one where the lead character is pretending that they are not actually the lead character. How do, I mean, not who they are. It's Hugh Grant pretending that he's not actually Hugh Grant. Does that make sense? Yeah, he, do, he does that in every movie. Yeah, yeah it's called acting. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, there's never been a movie where Hugh Grant played Hugh Grant, I don't think. No, I mean, like, I mean, you know, okay, all I'm saying is like Hugh Grant acting like the awkward, unattractive British dude. You're talking about Hugh Grant as in the quote-unquote Hugh Grant. Right. Is that yeah. what you mean? Yeah, okay. like, yeah, yeah. but that that's a well he draws from throughout his career. Oh, yeah, completely. The awkward dude especially. Yeah, so uh, Julia Roberts is Anna Scott. Hugh Grant is William Thacker. The trivia on this one, the park bench. Now, this is going to be really good. Park bench used in this film now lives in Queen's Garden in East Perth, Western Australia. After filming, the bench was purchased at an auction as a romantic gift for a relationship that eventually failed. Eh, yeah, I know, right? Afterwards, a local Perth resident anonymously donated, I think it's the person who bought it, the bench to the city of Perth, and now it really does live in a beautiful garden that is locked at night. So, I'm not sure if the reaction to that is, aw, or uh, aw. Oh. I think it's, uh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Back of the throat. Ah. (laughs) I love this movie. I I I know you guys are probably going to shit on it now, but I I love this movie. As you all know, I'm a huge Hugh Grant fan. Um, Did I know that something about his his foppish British charm just speaks to me for whatever reason. Um, I think it's. I'm not a huge Julie. I think it's because it's an awkward dude that everybody just really wants to fuck, just like you, Joel. I was the awkward dude, but the other part, not so much. <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, yes, it can get a bit sweet and saccharine at time. And I don't know. I just I love the characters in it. I love it's funny. It's sweet. It's got its ups and downs. It's got all the appropriate kind of uh, notes that you want to hit in a romantic comedy. And it ends on a big, you know, kind of crescendo with them getting, you know, together and everybody's happy at the end. Well, married was the word you were looking for. Yeah, I'm a I'm with Joel on this one. Uh, I am a fan of this movie. It hits both of my criteria. I care about what happens to the people because they're charming, and I want them to be happy. And especially the scene where Hugh Grant gets mistaken for a reporter and has to interview her, pretending <laughs> to be a reporter, and then gets just lays me out every time. And then gets passed to every other person in the movie that he hasn't seen. <laughs> Do you think there should be more horses in this film? Uh, it takes place in space. Is this your first? I, I didn't find that funny until it got to, you know, we got to go interview these other people. I thought it was a little bit too forced when it was just the two of them. I was like, why are you hiding this so much? You know, you're the star. Just talk it to makes them. me laugh every time. I don't know why. It makes me laugh. But um, as far as like liking the, the people, I mean, Anna, yeah, I think Anna had charisma and she was, you know, she was kind of funny and stuff, but I mean, overall, I thought she was not a very good person. Well, but I think that they were playing up the fact that when you live in that lifestyle, it's hard to have a real life, you know, because you're constantly being looked at under a microscope. Oh my God, so I totally know. She she had to watch her, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, her rabbit. Uh, image because, you know, she had built this career and she didn't know where this was going with him. So she couldn't just like chuck it 
you know, on a one night kind of thing, she needed to know for sure. And she made bad choices. She even said it when they were doing the thing with the brownie, you know, she admitted that she you know, did a lot of things that she wasn't happy with, but it was part of the career path she'd chosen. And she figures it out at the end, but it takes her a while to get there. Yeah, it also plays the fantasy of like the movie star sees you out of nowhere and falls for you. Like, yeah. And once she has everything she wants, she's perfectly great. Isn't, isn't that a lovely, lovely lesson? Yeah. Once you have everything you want, you can be happy. And I and you can be an, and you can be a nice person up until then. You can just be a miserable bitch when you need to. Yeah. Wow. Movie stars are just better than us, Patrick. Well, yeah, I get I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot to be better than me. I mean, you know, you're the talent. Pretty, pretty sure all my neighbors are, are beating that category. Not a mess. Well, yeah, yeah, they're not. You know, I'm the talent on this podcast. Yeah, I'm not the talent in life. <laughs> I beg to differ. Yeah, yeah I'll have to agree we're, with. We're, getting, we're, we're derailing. We'll, we'll here. agree to disagree on that one, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I mean, this this movie. I mean, I didn't I didn't hate it by any stretch. You know, it was enjoyable and everything. But I mean, there was a lot of yeah, a lot of saccharine type moments, like you said. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's one of the th- reasons, I guess, why I like when Harry met Sally better than than this movie is because there's less of the just completely Hollywood saccharine type moments. Well, I think the big difference on this one is about a decade and a half of them discovering the formula. I think by this point, by 1999 for Notting Hill, I think they were just like, all right, this blank. It's At that point, they're almost doing like a Mad Libs. Just put together, you yeah. know, this person who is a actor uh, no, discovers a bookseller. Yeah, why is everybody always working in bookstores? I don't know. Are books sexy? Other other people deserve love too, not just you know, not just bookstore owners. Hmm. You know who I want actually want to give a call uh, call out to for a very brief but very um, funny. I want to say cameo, cameo on this one is God. What's his name? His name is Dylan Morin. From Black Books, he plays Bernard Black from the TV show, who is the guy who had the book in his trousers. Rufus? What is his name? Rufus? Rufus? I don't. I don't know. When he asked for this autograph. Yeah, yeah, Rufus. Yeah, whatever his name was when he asked for the autograph. When she's like, "You belong in prison," but yeah, that was actually funny. Dylan Moran. Ever since I've started watching Black Books, is one of my favorite actors, and he pretty much channeled Bernard Black in this up in this movie. So. I would like to point out that we, we skipped over the writer of this. Did we? Which is Richard Curtis, who also wrote Bridget Jones' Diary, Love Actually. I believe he did Four Weddings and a Funeral. Did some of the Mr. Bean show. He did the Vincent and the Doctor episode of Doctor Who, which is one of the fan favorites. He's definitely a legend. Uh, Mamma Mia. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, here's it. Oh, and going a little bit off track on this one, but Love Actually. What did Love Actually become a Christmas movie? because it takes place when, when they put christmas, christmas in it okay here's my thing though is that i went over to my parents house for christmas a couple years ago and they were watching love actually and i come over and i've got whatever the hell i made for christmas whatever pastry i made i walk in i got hey i got this for christmas and i turn and they've got love actually playing and there is a woman pantomiming a blowjob on the screen that's a great scene whether or not it's a great scene i'm like is this christmas <laughs> what the hell's going on i didn't Blowjobs are Christmas. It's a Christmas party. <laughs> exactly. Oopsie. <laughs> I'm just going to agree with you to keep this moving. Excellent. All right. So I guess we're going to the break then. All right. Time for Christmas blowjobs. <laughs> time to hop in the time machine and get to the now. What makes it Christmas? He sings a Christmas song at the end. 
You wrapped a dick in tinsel? <laughs> Wait, the blowjob or the movie? All right, we'll be back in a little bit. We are back, and we are going to talk about the four of the now rom-coms post-2000. So the first one that we have lined up is 500 Days of Summer. Choice was this. Mine. Really? Yes. Wow. How is that surprising to you? (laughs) I don't know. I was was, um, in between Josh, I mean, not in between Joel and Pat on this one. Oh, Joel's choice is so obvious. I know. In re- retrospect, it's it was completely obvious. But I mean, it, it, this yeah, you should just be able to find out by default that this is mine if you thought yeah. about it. So uh, this is directed by Mark Webb, uh, who has done such things as Gifted, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and the director of the Amazing Spider-Man. Which one? The Amazing one. Why well, not? Which which Spider? Oh, the Andrew Garfield one. Yes. Yes. This stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Tom and Zooey Deschanel as Summer. Trivia on this one is Jenny Beckman, the girl who was mentioned at the beginning of the movie, was a real girl who dumped one of the screenwriters, Scott Neustadter. Summer is based on this girl and the script of the movie on their relationship. Petty much? I oh, Jesus. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I mean, that's a Taylor Swift level of petty. Okay, you got to look at the other stuff this guy wrote. Outside of 500 Days of Summer, he did The Fault in Our Stars and The Disaster Artist. So he's, you know, he's all right. I mean, The Disaster Artist was actually pretty good. Oh, I'm just basically talking about, like, literally name-checking the girl you wrote the movie about. In, right, in not even script. like, base, this is a fictional character. Yeah, yeah like, no, I'm just <laughs> going to name it after you. You right. hear that, Jenny Beckman? <laughs> Out there? She had to have signed off on it. There, there's no way there wouldn't be a, a libel suit or legal suit or whatever. Well, that's not exactly like a you know a, a crazy truth. name. That's a that's a very <laughs> vanilla name. And truth is an absolute defense. Yeah. So well, here's the thing. <laughs> this fails for me on both of my criteria as a romantic comedy, but I will never forget I saw this movie. I, I am 100% behind you on that one. I'm not 100% sure I enjoyed it, but I appreciated the hell out of it. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I like this movie. It's not because I think, you know, the people, you know, deserve cheering. I just think it's a great story and it's very well told. I think this is a movie that is just very beautiful and very well done and very it's very honest about what relationships are like, especially looking at it from like my favorite scene in the whole thing is where they, you know, is at the party where he's talking, you know, they, they show his ex- expectations versus the reality. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it, it gets that raw, pathetic pain that comes with, like, not understanding what's going on with a relationship that's over and you've been lying to yourself and lying to the person. Like, it, it's it's real. It's something I have. Yeah, and he just never once wanted to actually listen to her when she said, you know, I'm not looking for anything serious. And he just kept overlooking and he's like, no, you're the one, you know, and it's like, well, you know, it takes two people to be in a relationship. So full disclosure, you're Jenny Neustadter. 
I am. You're no. He's he's Mr. Newsbomb. Oh my God, Mr. Beckman is here. No. Uh, after watching this, I now own the album and the movie. Ah, if that tells oh. anything. Oh, is this the first time you'd seen it? The first and only time I saw it, and I immediately wow. fell in love with it. Like yeah. I immediately fell in love with it. I, this is definitely a Joel movie. I could. I, could I was going to say I that. Could, yeah, that is a hundred percent true on that one. I can totally see Joel loving this one. There was a lot of moments in this movie where I was like, "Oh my God, Tom, I am there with you." <laughs> right by the end of the movie, I did not know how to feel about summer. Summer. Yeah. You know, that was the thing. It was like, yeah, Summer, yeah, he, she never wanted to have a boyfriend. Yeah, I mean, and she made that explicitly clear. So, yeah, Tom, points off for not listening. But Summer, then why the hell did you dance with him at the wedding if you were already dating somebody? It's like, it's, everyone's just, I, I want to well, say. A dance is just a dance. I mean, he's the one that's putting more meaning on it than what it is. But no, 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 no. I mean, because he said, well, then if you were if you were dating somebody at that wedding, why did you dance and do everything with me? Oh, because I wanted to. Yeah. Bullshit. Well. Bullshit. You should have owned up. I, I don't know that I agree. Were we seeing that through his eyes, though, or were we seeing that through her eyes? Well, and plus, until she got married, like, who's to say that she still wasn't in the place of I don't want a boyfriend with the other guy that she ends up changing her mind on? And, and she that, said, you know, it surprised her when she got married, too. And how did things flip when they're sitting on the bench and he's talking about how, you know, I, I get what you where you were. I understand it. I'm in that place now. And she's like, I'm the opposite. I feel like you did. And they flipped. Yeah. I definitely, I don't hold anything against her. I agree that I have complicated feelings about what I think about. Would I like someone like that in my life? That that definitely comes down to no. But I don't think yeah. that necessarily is her damage. It's like she she wasn't like a bad person. She was a bad person for Tom. Okay, I can buy. I can buy that. Tom was not. Tom was looking. She was not. I just buy the. And from early on, he he forced the issue too much with her. You know, and and she was just when you're. This is a horrible analogy, but when you're trying to grab a greased pig, you don't squeeze too hard. <laughs> you just shoot it right out of your arms. I What about if you're grabbing a uh, greased death guy? <laughs> can't catch me! You can't catch me! But you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, he yeah. he he from the from the moment they started dating he had put her up on a pedestal that she was you know perfect and the one that he'd been waiting for and everything and she was make couldn't made it less clear that she was she couldn't have made it more clear that she was not looking for anything ultra and if he had just taken it slow maybe that could have developed but he was right away just the eager puppy dog and he just ran her off yeah for sure he he uh made things worse he forced her into that role and she immediately became unhappy and I have to say, the sequence where he leaves her apartment or whatever that morning after, and they start playing Hollow Notes. Yes. We have all been in that position where we've left a relationship, whether it's a date or, you know, meeting somebody or the first night after, you know, sleeping together. And you walk outside and you're in that mindset and everything is like that. You've got this, the, the whole world is all of a sudden fantastic and everybody's and everybody friends. in your life is like, why are you smiling? What the hell's going on? But in your head, you're all <laughs> dancing to hollow notes. Yeah. And why should you That's not? My, uh, 
I, I said the other scene is like you know the best scene, the most, and it is. But this is that was my favorite scene. That whole dance scene. That's a visual interpretation yeah, I mean, of what first love feels like when you first fall in love with somebody. Yep. And here's the thing. I wa- uh, This is another one of the movies where I watched this with the whole family. And we all sat through the entire thing. And at the end of it, I turned it off with the credits finished. And I said, did you like anybody in that movie? And the answer was, I don't know. Yep. I'd say that's appropriate reaction. Yeah, from the from both my daughters. I don't I don't know. Do you think he was overbearing? Do you think she was leading him on? I don't know. It's and I kind of I I liked it visually. The movie was fantastic. I will give you that. The cinematography and the framing and what's going on in and the, the movie writing and the storytelling is also good too, you know. Yeah. The characters whether you like them or not are very well developed. Oh yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was fantastic in this. And Zooey Deschanel, while she kind of tiptoed around the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing, she did not 100% get into it. I enjoyed watching this movie, but I do not think I would willingly put it in the, the player again. And what's funny here, Pat, is you were talking about how you live the life doing the bartending and all that with about last night, maybe not live the life you weren't, you know, Rob Lowe, but this is, this is my life. (laughs) You know, this is me on a plate versus, you know, that's something you experienced. This is, I get it. And I think that's why I loved it so much. It just felt like somebody was inside my head. I'm very, I'm very glad that I picked this movie since you guys had not seen it before. Yeah, I hadn't seen it either. And I was there before I met Sarah. And I, I think because I saw so much of myself in Tom, I, I was deeply uncomfortable <laughs> through a lot of the movie. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. And I'm not sure I enjoyed it. <laughs> no. And how many of us, okay, when she said, oh, you're my, you're still my best friend. How many of us went, oh. I've been there. Yeah, I had I had visceral responses to some things in the film. Yeah. And that's a good thing though. Mm-hmm. When a movie makes you feel something, then it's accomplished its goal if that's what it's going for. So but I will say, as a romantic comedy, it didn't work for me, but as a film it really did. I do have to make that distinction since I did put my two criteria and it is zero for two. Okay. But I, I'm not gonna like, thumbs down it as a movie. So moving on. I'm glad I saw it. No. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on to the big sick, Josh, making us feel things. (laughs) What the hell? This is directed by Michael Showalter. We know Michael Showalter. We did uh, the Wet Hot American Summer show. Yeah. Wet Hot American Summer, Stella, Search Party, a bunch of other stuff that he's done. This is is a lot of comedians deciding, you know, we're going to make you cry instead of laugh. Yeah. Emily V. Gordon. Writing this, Kumal Nanjiani. Thank you. Starring Kumal Nanjiani, Zoe Kazan as Emily, uh, Holly Hunter as Beth, and Ray Romano as Terry. Some trivia on this one. While searching for funding, the producers submitted the script to a variety of potential studios. Within three hours, Filmation said, we will pay for the whole thing. Do what you do. Yeah, when I found out after seeing this film that this was the more or less true story of Kumail and his wife, Emily, I was just I I loved it even more. And I'm uh, this is the thing that 
took me from being a casual fan of Kumail from his stand-up to being just all in as one of my favorite performers. Wow. I have never, Kumail has never like shown up on my radar because I'm not, I, strangely enough, I'm not really a stand-up type of guy. I liked him right out of the gate. I did not understand what the big sin, sick was. I knew nothing about this movie when I stepped into it. And I was expecting a rom-com. He meets her. And then suddenly, I'm feeling things. <laughs> and Holly Hunter is making me cry. And Ray Romano is making me go, God, you are such a good man. You are, what the hell? I felt more than laughed in this one. And I do not regret watching this movie. In fact, I keep I watched this while I was traveling for work. And I kept calling my wife and saying, Suzanne, you need to watch this movie. The Big Sick? That doesn't sound like something I would enjoy. No, we you have to watch this movie. Did she? I don't, not yet. I'm planning on getting all three of them together in the room together because I figure if they're all going to start crying about it, then they should all do it at once where I can just go get the mop and clean it all up together. <laughs> That's a lot of crying. This is actually the second time I've seen this. I, I knew what it was about. And that's kind of what prompted me to go into it because I, I like Kamal and I, I, I've never, I wouldn't say I was like a big fan, but I, I, everything I've seen him and I enjoyed him and I like the rest of the cast. I'm a Holly Hunter fan. And as soon as I heard kind of that it was based on his actual relationship, it piqued my interest and prompted me when it hit prime to watch it. So I was kind of happy to get a chance to rewatch it to see if it held up. And while in some regards, it kind of skirts that fine line where there is some comedy in it and it's definitely, you know, got some romance. It, it kind of falls more in that dramedy category. It's towing that line where it's kind of a little of both, but it works. Um, yeah, I, I felt a lot of things during this movie as well. And who knew Ray Romano could be so good as a, like a right? serious actor. Her oh, seriously, Ray Romano. I was expecting him to be like, yeah, Oh, Oh, it's Raymond. Yeah. He's going to do his thing. That whole scene where he is laying on the inflatable mattress over at Kumal's uh, apartment, he that I mean, it, Terry is such an in-depth and such a deep character, and the the whole character arc with Holly Hunter and Beth from going to having wanting to know absolutely I want nothing to do with Kumal to welcoming him and i mean this whole movie took the rom-com of it all took place orbiting emily yeah you know it it was not what i was expecting but i 100 percent do not regret watching this movie this was amazing Let's stuff hear from pat i was curious because he hasn't gotten yeah. to say anything yeah. yet um uh, this this <laughs> this was a great movie that I will never ever be able to watch again, like some other movies. I just it w it was too much for me. Uh, I've had way too many family, friends, loved ones be sick and die, and I've spent way too many time, too many nights, and too many too many visits, and too many everything's in hospitals and around sickness, and seen it take too many people. And it's just it it's rough. And the whole time when you know, I didn't. And and no no joke, I did not realize watching this that this was based on the true story and everything, and, and that she made it and everything. So I honestly didn't know how it was going to end. And when it got to the point where you know you're going to find out if she lived or died, I was like, I'm like, dude, if they kill her, I'm gonna 
really lose it, then I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> there were there were multiple times with me, Patrick, also where I was like, "Oh, she's yeah. dead." Um, but it's oh no, she's very, still she's still in a very coma. well done, well acted, well shot, everything. I loved it, but I I I can just like the movie Fifty Fifty. It's you know I I could never watch it again. I have to say that his Kumal's comedic awkwardness was very well done in this movie. I mean, there's been times where the awkward has been overplayed. Well, that's pretty much him. I mean, that's not that was not him acting so much as that. He's very much like that. I've seen him in a lot of like uh, interviews and podcasts and stuff. The uh, biggest laugh for me is when Ray Romano asks him about 9-11. <laughs> the joke that you can't tell on stage, but that you could do in the movie and it worked. Yes. And, and like yeah. the fact that it makes everyone around him so uncomfortable just made me laugh all the harder. And it's a good joke. It really is a good joke. But if you took it in any other context, it wouldn't work. And most of the interactions between you know him and his three friends, Bo Burnham and and all them, you know, just most of those are pretty funny too. Well, yeah. And one of the other things that made this interesting is that you got to see his home life, and you got to see that perspective on it. Which, you know, as a as a you know Westerner, as an American, you know, you didn't have to have a uh, an arranged marriage. You didn't have an overbearing mother who was having people just accidentally drop by that she's trying to set you up with. And that added a whole nother layer to it. I have some Pakistani friends and I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't know. I guess I just don't know enough about their home life or they're more Americanized maybe, but I didn't know that arranged marriages are still a thing, even in America. I didn't, I had no idea because like I said, I mean, I have actual like Pakistani friends that I've, I've known for years, but I, I mean, I guess I just, I either don't know them well enough to know that or they're more Americanized, like I said. Well, and it was interesting because the the one, the last girl that he met before he kind of finally gave up on that, there really was kind of, I mean, there was kind of a spark there, it felt like. Like there was good chemistry yeah. between them. And he was so hung up on Emily that, you know, that was, he knew what he wanted already. But if things would have been she different. Was gorgeous too. Yeah, he, it might have worked out. And it was kind of an interesting dichotomy to kind of see that where, you know, there was that potential there that maybe it could have worked, but he, he already found the one that he wanted to be with. How brave do you have to be to be in a situation like that where they're like, I, I can, I don't, I don't want mom. I do not want you to set me up. Mom, I do not want you to blah, blah, blah. I mean, to, to eventually wind up almost being ostracized from your entire family. I mean, that's, that's right. Yeah. And having to force them to take you back. Right. Especially with all he went through. I mean, once she survives and he's been there and bounded with her family, like there's that moment where they're not immediately okay. She's like, why the fuck are you here? We, we were done. That was like, hard oh, to watch. Oh, yeah. That, that was so hard to watch because, I mean, that was something that you never really thought about until th she came back. And you're like, wait a second. She doesn't. Yeah, it was. It was a month. It was a know. month for them, and it was you know a day for her. Yeah. Moments for her. Yeah, I know. Seriously, that was that was so hard for me to deal with because I you want that happy ending to happen, but at the same time, when she comes back and she's when she makes the speech, she talks to him. She's like, "Look, all, that's great that you had all this happen, but 
I was asleep. I was in a coma. I don't know anything that happened about any of this. And you kind of can, you kind of have to go, you know what? She's right. Yeah. She's got a point as much as you feel for him and want them to get together at that point. It's like, yeah, for her, it's completely different. Now that wasn't Mm -hmm. the romantic comedy expectation, you know, in the romantic comedy, you know, they see each other and like, Oh, you know, it's while you were sleeping all over again. Right. And, Instead of him, you know, staying there and pining away for her, he makes a decision to move on with his life. And it's it's a very real story, you know, um, that still had a happy, still has a happy ending, thankfully. Thank God. <laughs> so we, we probably oh need to move on as much as I love this yeah. film. Yeah, I, I. OK, so moving on to Switching the hard left here. Yeah, we're making a hard Zach and Mary make a porno. This is mine. Why? Because I like my comedy to be gr- just out there and ridiculousness. This this movie, believe it or not, I I don't own this on DVD, I and I tried to find it. Oh, I'm sure you do. You own everything. <laughs> the reason I chose this one is because I think in in the name of Josh. It has to be two characters that I care about and two characters that and it has to make me laugh. Mary and Zach, I can identify with. They're not, you know, it's it's that whole we're not living the best life. We're live, you know, we're shacking up together. We're sharing an apartment. They cut off our water and we're rinsing our hair with the, the toilet water. I like to laugh in the movies and there is enough in this one. It just to make me enough of this and enough of the romance on it. And I think it's more realistic to me because the Zach and Miri are more real to me in this. Is there fuck ups? Yeah, completely. I mean, I, they are complete and utter fuck ups and I, you know, they do not do well. They do not have great things going on. And Honestly, it's one of those where they've been together for so, for so long, they do not re- acknowledge the fact that they're actually in love. Yeah. When watching this one, is interesting. I, I was questioning for much of the movie, is this even a romantic comedy? And you know what? I, it hits. It's two for two. It made me laugh, and I actually cared about the characters and wanted them to be happy. I was afraid you weren't going to like this just for one scene in particular. Oh, yes. That scene did not quite ruin the movie for me, but you are 100% correct. That was too much. Because as soon as Mike picked the movie, I'm like, Josh isn't going to like this. <laughs> I, I did not like that. Wait, wait. The, the, the dump on the camera. Frosted, frosted me like a cake. Did not like that. You don't remember, Mike? I got so much weird When the big boob blonde is, she talks about how she's been constipated. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, because Josh doesn't like gross out humor. He doesn't like lowbrow. And that was too much, but it didn't wreck the movie for me. I still liked it. But yeah, that was too much. And it's really only the one scene that's like that. I mean, the majority of the film doesn't. I mean, yes, it's it's, you know, kind of her her giggle giggle kind of schoolboy humor in a lot of ways. But that's the only scene that really kind of takes it to the Ferrelli brothers level. Mm. Um, well, I mean, this I, is this, this was the uh, a Kevin Smith movie, so of course they're going to have some moment of gross out humor at some point. 
This is the first Kevin Smith movie that didn't take place in the uh, universe, right? Or uh, I don't know if it's the first, but it definitely, it, yeah, it it definitely doesn't, even though he uh, goes back to the well for some of his actors. Yeah, because I believe Justin Long, because uh, I just saw Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and he plays uh, their lawyer, and he plays it just like Brandon in this film. So I'm, I, I, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember his porn name, like Randy St. James or Randy St. Randy or something like that. Um, and I'm not sure that it's not the same character, but yeah, a lot of, nobody else, you know, pops up from the other films. Right. Cause the camera, every scene that Justin Long is in kills. Mm-hmm. I think those were the best scenes out of all of them. And I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Banks and uh, Seth Rogen, both. And I still think you are scenes were the best. That's what people tell me. Yeah, that's what most people tell you. Um, I I like this movie. I think it's it's like Josh said. It hits the hits the right chords. It's funny, like legitimately funny. And there is a romance in there that has its ups and downs and ends on a high note. So you're left, you know, going, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm I feel good about this now. Yeah, and there and there's enough of the. Can I get a coffee, black? <laughs> you know, did you see I'm talking white? <laughs> you know, I mean, there is there's enough of that comedy in it to make me laugh out loud, also to be kind and, and keep me floating along to the point where I'm like, why do they not know that they're in love with each other? You know, and yeah, it's it's raunchy, it's kind of screwy, it's it's a, it's it's a Kevin Smith movie, but honestly, I think the the point of it where i laugh the hardest is when seth rogan gets the uh the heat pad the hand warmer thing stuck to his balls (laughs) pretty funny yeah that was that was entertaining i like that you know stick something hot on your balls 100 percent behind that one well and you think of the song from when harry met sally i could write a book you know this this movie kind of takes that that to uh you know makes it a reality where you know make two lovers of friends and yeah. You know, they'd lived together and they essentially were together. They weren't a couple, but they just hadn't realized that, you know, there was a potential there for a relationship. And once it was there, mm-hmm. can't really go back at that point. Once- right. And it has some uh, Tom Savini. Yeah. It, too, so. <laughs> yes, it does. I like seeing Jeff Anderson, <laughs> even though I don't think he's super talented. He He's fun to watch. And Craig Robinson is just always funny in everything. Yes. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and the other, the other side of it, all the different themes that they were doing the porn for was like when he, when he's, when, uh, um, Seth Rogen's dressed up as a UPS mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. I mean, that's gold comedy for me right there. Oh, I've dropped the cream. <laughs> it spilled everywhere. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with so. this scene? Got you two just making love over here. <laughs> All right, so swinging into the finals here, we've got Joel's choice of Juliet Naked. This is directed by Jesse Perez. Jesse Perez, yeah, yeah Perez, uh, who uh, also directed our idiot, our idiot brother, and the Chateau. Juliet Naked is subtitled if Joel wrote a screenplay. <laughs> Holy shit! Yes, <laughs> we'll get to that. Shut up. This so uh writing by Evangina Perez, uh Jim Taylor, Tamara Jenkins, and Nick Hornsby, starring Chris O'Dowd as Duncan Thompson, 
Rose Byrne as Ann Platt, and Ethan Hawke as Tucker Crow, the uh, grunge uh, mid-90s rock thing. Jeff Buckley-esque. Um, yeah. But yeah, actually, very much. Very Jeff Buckley-esque. Trivia on this one is Rose Byrne was six months pregnant during the entire filming of this. They used camera shots such as medium to close-up shots and carefully placed accessories like handbags and laptops to conceal it in the film. So, filmmakers, good on you because I did not even notice that. Neither did I. Yeah. So, Joel. Yes, sir. Out, outside of this being a a uh, swan song to your life. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you choose this one, man? Well, I'd, I'd just seen it fairly recently. And after um, watching it with Laura again, because, you know, I wanted to rewatch everything. So it was fresh. Uh, after it was over, I turned to her and I said, I don't know if I picked the right film. I'm like, does this classify as a romantic comedy? And I said, it kind of falls more in that dramedy category where, yeah, there's some moments where it's kind of funny. It definitely is rom- has romance. But it's not like Zack and Mary make a porno where that's, a comedy, no question. So I, I'm curious what you guys thought. But Nick Hornby, uh, in case anybody doesn't know, also wrote the book uh, about a boy and High Fidelity, which mm. we'll do the High Fidelity show at some point. But I like him as a writer and I like his characters. And who doesn't like Chris O'Dowd? Uh, so right, it, it was an easy sell yeah. for me as soon as I saw the, the poster for it and then watched the trailer. I'm like, I'm going to like this movie. And I was right. Yep. I am I'm actually gonna toss this in there. Uh, Jesse Perez is actually doing uh, high fidelity the T V series that is launching in twenty twenty. Zoe Kravitz as the John Cusack character. Yeah, huh. they're doing a gender swap, from what I understand. Swap. Okay. I, I want you guys movie. to start because I have rather a lot to say about this. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm curious what you guys think because I I love this movie. It it hits it hits all my chords, all puns intended. Joel, don't hate me for this, but when I started watching this movie, I was initially like, "Oh God, here comes one of Joel's artsy fartsy." I remember, this is the reason. Initially, this is the reason why we did not allow him to choose movies from Blockbuster while we were in college. Make two or three hundred mistakes, and what happened? <laughs> Yeah. What was the name of that movie where the naked weightlifting thing and carrying knives? Do you remember that one, Joel? I do, but I don't remember what it was. Was That wasn't um, Wild at Heart, was it? No, that wasn't Wild, Wild at Heart. I had remember the, the Wild three Heart. dancing fat naked old ladies. Yeah. Were, not what he's talking about. No. Yeah. I yeah. No, I don't know. But I, I, I was ready for it. I was like, all right. Here we go. This is what's going to happen. And God damn it, Joel, I enjoyed this. Nice. I really did. Th- through the whole thing, Chris O'Dowd, I love Chris O'Dowd. I started watching him on the IT crowd and think he's fantastic. Rose, Bur- Rose Byrne and Ethan Hawke were, I mean, the the whole scene where Chris O'Dowd meets Ethan Hawke on the beach and does not recognize him as being his idol was hilarious. Not like Zach and Mary make a porno, you know, um, I like a coffee black type of thing, but I really enjoyed this. And 
Chris O'Dowd was a lot better than I expected him to be, and Ethan Hawke was 100% Ethan Hawke. So I give this one a thumbs up. Hey, spoilers. <laughs> what do you think, Patrick? Uh, I enjoyed it overall. Um, I I was worried at certain points it was going to bow too much into the pretentious pool, but it pulled itself up pretty nicely. And I was worried that the you know the son Jackson was going to be fall way too much into the precocious area, and he didn't. He was just a you know a fun kid that was just kind of intelligent. Was yeah, he was intelligent and and charismatic and likable. So, um, I liked Ethan Hawke more than I would thought I was going to. And overall, I mean. It was like I said. It was it was exactly what I would what I expected you to 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 pick. It felt it had a very naked in New York vibe to it. Yeah, that's mm. a good that's a good, uh, that's a good uh, reference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And who doesn't like Rose Byrne? Come on, right? She's you know she's fun she's to look charming. at, and she's and she's charismatic, and she's you know she's a great actress. So yeah. All right, Josh. All right. Well, <laughs> here, here, here we, we go. go. I like Buckle Chris in. O'Dowd. I like. Roseburn, I like Ethan Hawk. The movie was well acted. Probably done saying positive things about this. I oh. despised this film. What? Not only did it not make me laugh, all three of the principal characters I thought were horrible people who I hoped would not be happy. <laughs> and uh, there was a central conceit which I found personally offensive. The movie repeatedly stresses that the only way to have your life have any meaning is to have children. Your hobbies are meaningless. Your life and your routine with your partner is meaningless. Your creative output is meaningless. Only children are meaningful. And that, I will definitely agree with that. That pissed me off so much. I, I had complicated. I'm not sure if I liked it feelings as soon as I finished the movie. Then I thought about it for a couple hours and was like, no, I fucking hate this film. I definitely I, did, I didn't get the visceral reaction like that from it, but I definitely agree with you that, you know, there was a lot of. Well, as someone who is is married and childless by choice, I, I, I have a little more skin in that particular game. Yeah, sure. and I have, you know, and as the only other guy in the podcast with no kids. As you, as far as you know. Oh, I'm pretty sure they would have surfaced by now. <laughs> I'm like, I found my dad. Oh, look, it's, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, that's okay. Yeah, if any of them tried to surface, they changed their mind pretty quick when they <laughs> knew. Um, it definitely gave that message that you know, I mean, even the even the guy who didn't even pay attention to his children, still the meaning of his life was that he had kids. Yeah, and and that that just that angered me. Completely. See, and I didn't even pick right. up on that, and maybe that's because I have kids, and so I didn't I didn't even blink an eye at it. I didn't think twice. But yeah, his big advice to her was, you know, have a kid of your own, right? And like when they talked about why the relationship. Uh, the initial relationship failed. Uh, and when uh, Duncan comes back to Annie, he's just like, well, I'm ready to be a grown up now. So this is what it takes to be a grown up. Fuck you, Hornby. And I, yeah, I did not pick up on that. And I, I 100% respect a, a, any of your guys' opinion on it. You know, I wasn't sure what people were going to think after I watched it. And I had a backup movie that I had considered throwing out there hoping you guys hadn't watched it yet to maybe catch it. I'm like, after, you know, talking to Laura, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to, and that's good. You know, 
a little dissension is not a bad thing. Oh, sorry sure. that yeah. it <laughs> had that kind of reaction. But, uh, I get it. I understand. I'm not mad at you for picking it. It's just, yeah, I, I really didn't like this film. I'm kind of mad at you for picking it now that he's mad. <laughs> Don't you it's dare easy. make Josh feel feelings. <laughs> I just, I'm just pissed at Joel pretty much all the time. Well, we know that. But I like know that. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Since this is, this is the rom coms episode, Mike and Joel are going to get together in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Little do you know. All right. So, I mean, thumbs up, thumbs down. I don't think we have. I mean, yeah, I, I think we kind of covered that. Are, are there any surprises here? No, not at all. And I mean, we can't really do what's your favorite from then and now because we picked those. Yeah. So, I mean, do you guys feel, and this is just kind of a broad question that maybe doesn't need to be given to the audience, but since they're here, is this a topic you think after what we've gone through here that we might want to revisit with other genres and maybe even this genre? I might even be willing to return to this well, even though this is not a genre. That, there's more films I dislike in this genre than there are films I like. I think I might be able to scrape out another two. Yeah, I'm with Josh on this one. I mean, rom-coms have never been like my, they're definitely not my bread and butter at any any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, you know, for the show, I'll, you know, I can pull some up. I mean, I think this would definitely be a, a type of movie where we can go with, you know, comedy adventure or horror adventure, or we can choose two ac- two um, adjectives, <laughs> toss them together and see what the hell we come And I had even recommended doing this format with, you know, movies that we hated, that we disliked. Not that they were bad, like Transmorphers, but that came out that were expected to be, you know, big hits or whatever. And we ended up just totally hating on them because sometimes that brings out the best discussion. So there's a lot of room to move in yeah. this. In this, And if anybody is listening, has some thoughts on it and likes what we're doing and has some suggestions for something they'd like us to do. Kind of jumping ahead there, but. Little. Yeah, no, not at all. Let yeah, us know. Give us a call. Uh, 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And uh, again, if you want to find us, we're on the uh, Apple Podcast, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM. Again. In the words of the wise and all-knowing Patrick, if you can't find us, you're not trying hard enough. Hard enough. Hard, hard enough. enough. Hard enough. Hard nuts. Hard nuts. You're not trying hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> I broke my tooth. Hard nuts. So, Joel, what are we doing next week? Uh, one next week we're going to be one jump ahead of the breadline, one swing ahead of the sword. Yeah, we're uh, going to be talking about Aladdin, the original, my favorite Disney classic, and uh, the recent live-action remake. Oh, very nice. All right. So uh, thank you very much for listening to the Rom-Com Show Part 1. Number one. There may be more. Brace yourself, listeners. We have more romantic comedy for you to jam down your loving gullet. (laughs) I'm shocked your romance. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's an apple. All right. So thanks for listening, and we will be back next week with uh, Aladdin and his monkey. You've seen The Shining, right? Who? You've seen The Shining. Yeah, yeah, of course you've seen The Shining. Okay, it's a sequel. Sequel to The Shining. Oh. Written by Stephen King. Oh, I was just about to say who wrote, who wrote it.
Yeah. He wrote the book and then made the movie. But is it as good as the shinning? <laughs> you want to get a sued, boy? 